ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, thanks for joining Western Contours as we bring you Elk Holland Academy's Feature Friday. Hey guys, this week Michael recaps his 2019 season and discusses your post-elk season woes. Enjoy the episode. Hello everybody, my name is Michael Batiste from the Elk Calling Academy and this is Wapiti Wednesday Q&A. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. We're glad you tuned in. The way Wapiti Wednesday normally works is we normally have a topic and we start with a topic and a discussion. Tonight, we're going to kind of do a 2019 elk season recap and also talk about some of the broadheads that we tested this year. Now, if this is your first time, it doesn't matter if you're joining us from Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram. At any time, you can put your com- or your questions in the comment section, and we'll do our best to answer those while we are live. Also, if this is your first time, or you've been watching for a little bit and you're enjoying the content that, you're, that you're, we're putting out, make sure that you like, subscribe, or follow, and be sure to turn on those notifications so that way you're notified next time we go live. So... All right, so uh, MM88, uh, hey, 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 hope your season's been going good. Jay Tappenden, hello, nice bull, thank you very much. Jacob Balbus, hope you had a good year, buddy. Um, We are going to talk about that. So, okay, 2019 archery season, uh, the way it kind of went was, for some of you that have kind of followed the journey last year, halfway through the season, We had to move to a new area. We just got inundated with people, so we went searching for a new area. We hunted the last couple of weekends in this new area. We scouted it this summer, but there was a lot of question marks on what this area was going to hold the first part of the season. Um, You know, also, since it was a really wet year and elk were spread out a lot more, what type of activity we were going to see, what type of rutting activity, hunter numbers, there was just a lot of questions. So, so that's what I kind of wanted to do tonight was to recap kind of the season, um, kind of some of the things that we saw in the elk behaviors. Also, several questions with a lot of you guys. I want to touch on topics with that. And then, like I said, we will um, end with kind of talking about broadheads. So, Miss Lena, how you doing? Kate Grant McCowan, what calls did you use this year? So, let's kind of talk about that. So, early on in the season, um, I didn't use a single diaphragm read for probably the first two weeks of the season. Part of it because... I burnt the roof of my mouth uh, the night before opening day. And I just, it was really uncomfortable to put a diaphragm read in the roof of my mouth. So, so those of you that are eating brats in camp, make sure you let those brats cool down before you take a bite. Cause uh, yeah, they will burn the roof of your mouth and it makes it quite uncomfortable to use a diaphragm read. So, 
So the first part of the season, I was basically using the Native by Carlton Mini Mouth and the Power Bugle Pro, um, which I did all my bull vocalizations on that. So um, it, uh, as far as elk activity, we didn't get a ton of bugling activity, but we got a lot of responses. And what I mean by that is you guys have heard me talk about low audible responses. And in fact, Guy Western Contours, look at that, right on time. So Guy and I were talking about this the other day that he went on his hunt to Colorado and he said that's one thing that he really noticed because now that he was cluing into it, he noticed a lot more of those low audible tones and those low audible responses that in the past would just blow right on by and not even pay attention to. The other thing that we had was a lot of elk that were coming to us silent. Um, remember, them coming to you is a form of a response. So we have <laughs> silent SOBs. Yes, they are. And that's one thing that I've heard from a lot of you um, was... It's, it's, it's kind of mixed because I've heard from several of you that really went out and really tried the breeding sequence. And what I found was some of you that were really patient and working those areas like I talked about, you guys called in a ton of elk. Um, not necessarily, you know, punch tags, bulls on the ground. But you had a lot of bulls coming in that because of one reason or another, you couldn't get a clear shot opportunity. And that's just part of hunting. That's going to happen. Every time you call an elk in, it's not going to result in a shot. So, But the fact that you were calling them in, it was, you know, that's the goal, calling them into archery range. So Muley Madness came in silent in Washington. Elk Whisperer, Oregon is a week early this year and it sucked. A lot of timid bugles or just light chuckles. And that's one reason. And that's another thing that talking to some of you guys. So here's the deal with the breeding sequence. And for those of you that are members of the Patreon page over at ElkCallingAcademy.com, you guys have seen firsthand videos of me doing those out in the field. And so you get a good idea and an understanding of the cadence and the patience and how it goes. Because there definitely is a cadence when calling elk. It's not just go out and throw a bunch of calls one right after the other with ultra excitement right off the get-go. And I think that's what a lot of people were doing in early in the season. So they were just not being patient. They were not running the cadence. They were not, you know, they were trying to speed up the situation and you can't do that. Just remember, there's nothing that you can do that is going to speed up that elk coming in. He's not going to come in until he is ready to come in. It doesn't matter how many calls you throw out there, how ultra excited you get or this or that. And in fact, on the opposite if you start becoming unrealistic, you will have the opposite effect and actually push them away. So um, a big thing I ran into was storms passing through and elk shutting up, was still able to get on them, but for about three days after the storm, it was rough. That's one of the things that I talked with a couple of individuals about too, was the storms. This was the wettest September that I can remember. We had a lot of storms and a lot of rain coming in. But the one thing that I've only touched on briefly was barometric pressure. In fact, I'm going to do a more in-depth video for um, the Patreon members over there at ElkCallingAcademy.com and explain a little bit more about that barometric pressure and how it affects elk behavior and how it affects their vocalizations. But so about the first two weeks of the season, like I said, it was primarily just open read, that mini, that mini mouth from Native by Carlton and that Power Bugle Pro, really doing the breeding sequence, but I was focusing more on those low audible sounds, those huffs, those grunts, those whines, those low frequency, you know, on the whines. And, and I think that's one reason, I mean, our group had probably one of the best elk seasons that we've had in a long time. Um, multiple shot opportunities for everybody in the group. 
Um, we broke down camp with about three quarters of an elk per person because we do share the meat with everybody. I mean, we're all we're all there packing together. We're all there hiking together. So we all share in the rewards of it as well. So, you know, when you take six guys in camp and everybody puts three quarters of an elk in their freezer for the year, it's not doing too bad. I mean, everybody definitely has meat to feed their families and get them through. Now, as the season progressed, the thing that I noticed is those loud cow vocalizations in the volume that you get sometimes on an open read cow call, they just didn't like. Um, and in fact, I had a, a calf come in on a, on a video um, that I haven't even had a chance to edit any of these videos, but it was, it was a one-on-one. -on -one. Um, it was basically Eric and I went out and he was just following me with the camera and I called in this calf and she was only 30 yards from me, but I could barely hear her. She was that soft. And that basically kind of all of a sudden jogged my brain going, ooh, maybe being too loud with the cow sound. So you guys have heard me talk about match your surroundings, be aware of what's going around. And as soon as I heard that calf, I immediately just turned really, really soft on all of my cow vocalizations from that point on. And it really made a difference. The interaction with the bulls, I think it just added, you know, that realism because I was following with kind of their frequencies. Now the bulls, man, last week they were flat out ripping. They, they were doing what bulls are supposed to do during the rut. I mean, it was so much fun to where we got into areas with multiple bulls screaming and working. And it was, I mean, we were all just so excited and giggling and laughing. So uh, the first two weeks of the season, bulls were still running together without cows. We kind of saw a mix on that early in the year. There was still bachelor groups of bulls, but we also did get into bulls with cows. So uh, my group started to get a lot more response while we were scouting with cow calls. So, um, and, and that's the thing that I think too with those with those cow calls versus bugles early on. Remember too that if you're not hearing a ton of bulls bugling and you're running around and screaming at max volume every 400 yards, remember guys, before the season, I asked, are you moving and hunting like a human or are you moving and sounding like an elk? So that's the deal there. Mr. Christopher Gonzalez, how you doing, brother? So, so that's, that's one of the things there that, because I heard from a lot of people, um, you know, that were like, God, I don't understand it. We hiked 13 miles. We bugled every four or 500 yards and we didn't hear a single bugle. Okay. Is there any elk in the country you were hunting that were, that were covering 12, 15 miles a day and bugling every four or 500 yards? No, elk aren't doing it. Why are you? So, um, it's, <sighs> it, and I'm not saying that you can't cover ground looking for a bull that's that's bugling you certainly can do that that is you know one of the ways that a lot of people kill a lot of elk out there um just so some of you know that are that are maybe new i'm of a little different mindset because i used to hunt that way and then all of a sudden it dawned on me how many elk am i walking by am i leaving elk to go find elk which just didn't make sense to me and that's when I really started slowing down and really working areas a lot more instead of, to me, it was, it was more about how, how much time did I spend in an area versus how many miles did I cover in a day? And that's the thing that I talked with a couple of you guys about too, is I've heard from a few of you that were like, yeah, we got into an area, we found fresh sign, we sat down, started doing the breeding sequence, nothing was coming up, we got up and started moving and then all of a sudden we bumped something that's telling me you're not giving it enough time. So you need to be patient when you're spending time working these areas. And I, I mean, one of the keys to successful elk hunting is, is numbers. Okay. 
the more number of elk you call in, the more opportunities you're going to have, the more shot opportunities you're going to have, the more tags you're going to fill. It's just a simple numbers game. So, <clears throat> all right. Um, let's see. Thanks. I thought it was me, but put in some heavy miles and vert feet. No, Paul, there's a lot of people that uh, put in miles and heavy winds. That's the other thing, too. So, Guy and I were talking about this the other day. His whole time in Colorado, he had heavy 25, 30 mile an hour winds. And he's like, God, it just seems like the tracks just dried up. And I kind of joked and I said, yeah, it always seems like that sometimes those elk, <clears throat> once hunting season opens, they quit traveling on the ground and they start uh, traveling on the treetops. <laughs> you know, they just don't... Um, there we go. Sorry, guys. The phone call was coming in. Um, th they just don't travel on the ground anymore. But but the thing with the wind is, think about it, okay? So an elk survives by its nose, its eyesight, and its ears. Now, if it's sitting somewhere that the wind is blowing a lot, you have all this movement of leaves and tree branches and grass. It's hard for them to focus on movement. It's hard for them to pick out a predator stalking them through all that movement. So it makes sense that if you survive by those things, you would try to find an area where you can get out of the wind where those branches aren't blowing, those leaves aren't blowing, and your senses and your eyesight can be more effective. So um, that's one of the things that we did whenever the wind was blowing. We immediately started searching for sides of the mountain where the wind was not blowing, where we could get out of it. And you'll have those areas where you hunt. You just have to find them. And lo and behold, as soon as we got into those areas, that's where the elk were. So, uh, mountain hunter box. Our first encounter was a big bull that came in quiet 30 minutes after I finished the breeding sequence. Changed my mindset. So, uh, alcoholic 415, how you doing? Uh, Jay Colley, this year after opening day, the bulls didn't talk much. Uh, they weren't on fire this year. A few bugles in the early morning. If I bugled back, they would shut up. So, what do you do? Well, you know, that's one of the things that try other sounds. That, that's why a lot of times um, when I'm moving in on a bull and if I want to check his location, that's why a lot of times I will do a cow sound instead of a bugle. Because a cow sound is non-threatening, where a bugle he could consider a threat to his, his herd. So... Uh, use any stupid name. I love it. Can you touch on the breeding sequence again? The breeding sequence is available over at elkcallingacademy.com. Um, it's on the Patreon page. It is $15 a month, but there's all kinds of uh, instructional tutorial videos on there. And I, th I think there's four or five videos of the breeding sequence alone. So uh, the snow made it fun here in Montucky. Yeah, the snow hit uh, big time. So amazing how big they are and how quiet they can be coming in. Oh, bugle me this. Absolutely, it's amazing how quiet they are. And in fact, sitting down and watching a bull really come through the timber and how he tips his head and moves those antlers to get through some of those things, it's <clears throat> absolutely crazy how well they can do that. So uh, Got to hear two bulls challenge each other, then battle at 5.30 in the morning. It was pretty awesome. That would be awesome. Excuse me, Joshua Puckett killed my first elk, Kentucky 5x5. Five five, super hot temps. Congratulations. Drew Holiday called in more hunters than bulls in Oregon. Well, Drew, that's a testament to your calling ability. Joshua Martinez, it's amazing, especially in the thick stuff. Yeah. And in fact, when I was packing my bull out, um, <clears throat> I, I definitely have a, <clears throat> dang it, have a new respect for them going through chaparral and buckbrush. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing how well they can get through that. Utah was worst season ever for me. Utah, new hunt, all three seasons, tripled number of hunters, better draw Wyoming next year. Jay Colley, blind calling was on fire. I loved it. Did the best this season that I ever have. Yes, 110% breeding calling did the job for me. Jay, you guys had a great year. So, okay. Now, the, the other thing that I talked about 
you know, I, I had mentioned about cow sounds and how, how soft, you know, got to it. Um, the other thing I noticed with the bugles is they didn't have a lot of volume to start with. They were just kind of cracking half-hearted location bugles. But once you actually set up and really started, um, and in fact, that bull Friday morning, that six point, um, that dude was not doing much at all until I started raking. And then he walked over and picked this little Aspen and hammered that thing for a good solid 10 minutes. In fact, by the time he was done, there was not, dang it, there was, there was not a single branch or leaf left on that tree. He absolutely destroyed that tree. So for that bull right there, I could have sat there and cow called and bugled and screamed at him and nothing. His hot button was raking. So, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, we've talked about a lot in the past is basically pay attention to how that bull is responding to what you're doing. You will uncover his hot button. You will uncover the sound that he's looking for, the sound that excites him or the sound that uh, makes him mad. It's your job to recognize those responses and then tailor what you're doing in your calling to that bull's hot button. If you're not unlocking that hot button and you're not really understanding what that bull is looking for or what really gets him fired up, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. So yeah, you're gonna get into it. And I know some of you have done this because I've talked to several of you. Man, I got into an absolute screaming match with a bull for two hours, but he just wouldn't come. And my first question is, well, what else did you try besides bugling? Well, n nothing. We were, we okay. So you sat there for two hours and did the same thing over and over and over again, but neither of you gained any ground on each other. Why? Why not try something else? Because it could be one little thing. It could be maybe you do a series of huffs and grunts that all of a sudden he just loses it and here he comes. So uh, Colorado late rut this year, 256 miles this year, the hardest we've ever done. Um, you know, for us, it was it was right on. Uh, Autumn Equinox was was uh, the 23rd. Um, you know, we hit it the 20th and had phenomenal bugle, bugling activity because remember, most cows are bred within that seven to 10 day window and that autumn equinox is what really triggers the rut. Well, from what I saw, that autumn equinox fell right in the middle of the peak rut activity that we saw in our area. So it was dead on right there. So uh, B Brush, have any tips for mid to late October hunts? You're still gonna have some cows that are coming in in a late estrus cycle. Uh, so cow sounds, you, you wanna focus more on cow sounds, less on the bugling, probably a ratio of 85 to 15, 85% cow, 15% bull. Once that bull really gets going, uh, B Brush, then you can actually ramp up your um, bugles a lot more. Uh, 3T Outdoors, we hunted a herd in Idaho this fall, 10 bulls, one herd bull, and the rest rags. The herd bull sat above and moaned. The rags listened and pushed the cows. This was a first. Sure, he pushed them out later. Yeah. Uh, what's crazy is they can pinpoint you from really far away. Absolutely. We've talked about that before. So, all right, let's see what else we got. Um I had a first call gnarly call session with the big six this year, running out of breath, screaming at him, dancing on a wood pile like a madman. It was amazing. Called him into about 400, from about 400 yards to about 35. That's awesome. So Charles, what can I expect brother in the first week of October? Heading out this weekend, have multi-season tag. You're still gonna have some of that late rut activity coming in. Now, some areas I did hear that it was still fairly quiet, like the the rut never happened. Um, remember, just because the rut happened at a normal time in our area, it may be later in yours because maybe you're gonna have a harder winter than what we are in the area we were hunting. That really plays into it. 
And in fact, the first full, the first few bulls that we put on the ground, they didn't have much fat on them at all. Um, the dude last Friday, he had, he had a decent amount of fat on them. Um, but usually when kind of see that low amount of fat, that tells me it's not going to be that bad of a winner. So, uh, Dwayne, my bull bugled only one time, but raked and tore up the wallow as I called. After I pushed too hard on the wallow, he left. I backed out, circled to get the wind right and sat down. 20 minutes later, he came in to soft cow calf, calf talk. Dwayne, nice job. Way to adjust. Way to recognize that situation. So, you know, and you can see it too that it, if you're really putting pressure on that bull and you're getting more and more aggressive and he's just backing off on the amount that he's bugling or or maybe he was coming in and now all of a sudden he's just standing his ground. That's a dead indication right there that you are intimidating or you're being too aggressive with that bull. They give you all kinds of signs and cues and, and let you know whether they like what you're doing or don't like what you're doing. So, But I think sometimes we get so tunnel visioned that it's like we just get focused on this one thing and and you know it was so cool this year because Brandon tagged out early and so he wanted to do a lot of calling this year and so it, it was great because I really had an opportunity to you know kind of listen to him call and listen to you know do a lot of work and then you know I would ask him what are you saying? What picture are you painting? What are you trying to do? And, and, and so we had a lot of discussions about this. And also, too, it was a great lesson for other guys in the camp because you started to see these patterns. Whenever he did cow sounds, it was always the same cow sounds. And when he would bugle there for a while, he would chuckle after every single bugle. And it's those things that we don't recognize that we get into those types of patterns, that we don't realize that about ourselves. So it's great if you have somebody there that's listening and going, hey, you're kind of getting repetitive on this. You're doing the same thing over and over again. Don't take offense to it. They're just trying to help you. And I'm guilty of it. Sometimes I will fall into a pattern um, and then I'll catch myself, dang it, I need to mix this up. So be aware of all this stuff. So. Uh, Steve, I had an amazing Sunday morning in the snow in Montana. I was covered in bulls and cows and still couldn't get a shot. But, you know, those experiences and being in there, those are all learning opportunities. And plus, how cool is it to be out there on a snowy day with bulls screaming? It's just way too cool. So, top of Utah Archery, yo, buddy, congrats on your bull. I wasn't so lucky. Dang, Lim got in the way. Thank you. Um, yeah, limbs are all part of it. Um, you know, we had a rough, uh, rough track on one bull, um, but it was a great opportunity to, you know, really study and talk and learn. And, and I doubt that the person that made the shot um, will ever make that mistake again. And, and don't fault him. Basically, his shot was right behind the shoulder. Elevation-wise, was perfect. The only problem was didn't notice that that leg was back. So it, it, if you take that leg with their, their leg forward and all of a sudden you put that back, now think about where that is. Now if you shoot right behind the shoulder, you're going to be back there in that liver area instead of in the heart-lung area. So that's one of the things that, you know, you kind of need to go through a checklist. Are there any limbs in the way? Is the leg forward or back? Or, you know, is it broadside? Is it quartering two? Is it quartering away? The other thing, too, is as a new hunter, and, and, and especially with elk, we kind of get into that pattern that as soon as that bull comes in, it's like, there's my shot. And, you know, we jerk the bow back and we rush the shot because we think that's the only opportunity we're going to have. But if you really take the time and be patient, it's amazing what can happen. That bull can take two, three steps and stop again. And all of a sudden he's in the wide open and clear. And or, you know what, he could walk 10 yards closer to you because he's curious about the sound going on behind you. So be patient let things develop. Don't be in such a hurry just to fling an arrow. So, 
Uh, great feedback as always, Michael. Thanks for uh, live pod and sharing our experiences along with your advice. 3T Outdoors, you bet. So saw a bunch of moose in the meadows the elk normally hang out in. Any tips on where the elk hide when a moose moves in? Um, I mean, I've seen them cohabitate before. Um, I really haven't seen, um, you know, moose push elk out too bad. And, and I know a couple of you, you know, we'd had the discussion about cattle and a couple of you had mentioned, God, you just kept trying to hike and hike and get away from the cattle. And man, how many cattle do those ranchers put up in the mountain? And, you know, crazy thing is, is so every bull that we took this year was out of different herds. It was out of different groups. It's not like we were just on one herd and hammering and taking every bull out of that group. Every single bull came from a different area of our hunt area and out of a different group. But every bull also came out of an area that there was cattle in. So cattle doesn't necessarily always push the elk out. Will they change their patterns a little bit? Yes. Because, you know, those cattle they don't hang in the same place all the time. They move too. They're looking for the prime feed and, and, you know, so they're grazers and they're constantly moving as well. So, uh, I think about that all the time, especially if it's the first time getting a shot. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's something Joshua that we all go through as, as new hunters. We don't understand it and this and that. So, uh, let's see. The bulls in central Oregon didn't seem to like cow calls at all, just low moans and bugles and raking noises. So, okay, so you recognized, you recognized they didn't like the cow sounds. And so you made an adjustment. You tried other tones. It's not like you just sat there and kept hammering on that square peg, trying to fit it in a round hole. You tried other things to find out what those bulls are responding to. And then that's a great adjustment right there. Uh, Jay, I've got to give big props to the solo hunter caller shooter. I did the breeding sequence calling and had a big six come into 30 yards and I missed, hit a branch I didn't see. It's amazing how those branches disappear when we're so focused on the bull. But as soon as we release that arrow, man, it just pops right back into our vision. So Jay, I feel for you. I've been there. So it certainly does happen. So uh, Steve, I did the same thing, trying to be the caller shooter, get the range and shoot. I almost managed to screw it up. So, and, and Jay, there's a video coming on the Patreon page. Like I said, um, last Friday or not last Friday, but the Friday before the 20th with Eric behind me, you're going to see me as a solo hunt on a bull and you're going to see exactly how I move on this bull and what exactly I do. And so I'll get that video edited as soon as I can and get that on the Patreon page so you guys can get a better understanding of the one on one. Um, did I get did I get a shot on the bull? Um, no. Um, dang close. So and he was a, he was a stud bull. All right. Called in several bulls this year. Thanks to you. I appreciate your knowledge and the fact that you share it. Lori, you are very welcome and congratulations. Gosh, dang it. I don't get any phone calls all day long. And then as soon as I go live, now everybody wants to call and talk. So I know I haven't been on live for a couple of weeks. So they're, they're not used to the pattern. I'll have to get these guys uh, trained again. So uh, Sue, I called my 355 bull in with a simple cow call. One shot with a 25-06. I was so stoked. Thank you for all your information and help. Sue, you are very welcome and congratulations on that gorgeous bull. So, Maddie Lux, how are you doing, brother? So, Jim Huntsman, I'm stuck at a restaurant and really wanted to tune in tonight. So, Jim, there's always the replay, bud. So, uh, one camera had elk every day until August 12th, then starting 13th, never another elk on camera, only cattle from that day on. So, um, yeah, I mean, they'll adjust their patterns a little bit, but those elk are, or those cattle are going to move out and then the elk, the elk move in again. Guys, I even told you during the summer, I had a trail camera last year that I set it up oh, and, and for the first Several days, every night, there was elk coming in and bedding on this bench. And then about the sixth night, cattle moved in and bedded. They were there for three nights. 
And then the next night it was elk again. And then it was cattle, then it was elk, then it was cattle, then it was elk, then it was cattle, then it was elk. The elk do not completely vacate the area. That is a misconception that everybody has. I have photo proof and video proof of it. What happens is when the elk are heading to that area that they want to bed or feed, if they smell cattle, there is a difference between cattle being there and the remnants of cattle that have moved on. When they are moving in, if they can smell and know that cattle are right there, they will adjust their pattern and adjust where they're going a little bit. If they do not smell the actual cattle there, they will continue going to that spot. So, and you can fight me on this all you want. So it does happen. And I have year after year after year of trail cam photos with dates that show this activity going on. So, uh, Jay Tappeton, you talked about maps that shows older log trails with the new ones. Who makes them? Rugged maps. So um, you'll just have to call Derek and tell him, um, you know, everything that you want in the uh, hunting area. You can actually zoom in and get really, really close and really, really detailed on those maps. But rugged maps, Derek Fergus, give him a call. So uh, Paul Bayer, how about horses and riders, dogs rounding up cattle from timbers, muzzleloader, bear hunters, cowboys? Oh, my, a bit busy for my taste. Okay. The elk get used to those sounds. They get used to what's going on around them. Um, for years, I hunted on an ATV trail that was also a motorcycle trail. Those elk were not too far away from that motorcycle trail or that ATV trail. They get used to hearing that sound. All summer long, you have people going up camping and riding horses or riding motorcycles or cruising around on side-by-sides or cruising up and down the road fishing. And they're, you know, they're in the trucks going to different fishing spots. Those elk get used to those sounds. Again, you guys have heard me talk about some of the best hunting spots that I have are actually within 300 yards of a major road that have been sitting there on that area working a bull and can hear a truck or a side-by-side -side come by. The difference is, is because I hear that coming, do I sit there and continue to crack off my bugle and toot on that horn? Or do I do what the elk are doing and shut up and let that thing go by? So now, Paul, yeah, if there's a ton of activity that they're continually getting bumped, getting bumped, getting bumped, yes, they are going to roll out and go to a secluded spot. But does that mean they're never coming back to that spot again? No. They will. They'll come back in and check it. So, uh, Chris, hello, Michael. Glad to see you had a good season. Two weeks to go, to go for me. Chris, thank you. So, um, 200 yards from me was a herd of cattle and two wranglers trying to scare off my bull. No such luck. I still shot them. Sue, awesome. I like it. So, uh, speaking of maps, I can't say enough about the e-scouting videos on the Patreon page. The tricks you showed worked. I found several bedding areas using your secret. Perfect. So, okay. I want to do this real quick because we did have a couple of questions. I didn't get a single question on Instagram today, but a couple of you guys on the Facebook page had specifically targeted herd bulls and how do you pull herd bulls away from this cows and, and this and that. So, once a herd bull is herded up with cows, it is tough to pull him away. You can sit there and you can bugle at him and scream at him and this and that, but you are being absolutely no different than those five or six raghorns that are around him pestering him every single day. You're doing absolutely nothing. You're just fitting right in line with those. Now, if that herd bull has a hot cow in his group, the chances of you calling him away is... Slim to none. But you, those of you on the Patreon page, we've talked about this with the breeding sequence. This is why the breeding sequence works. Bulls are out there to breed. 
they are out there to find a hot cow and breed. So imagine if you have a herd bull that has 20 cows. You've located them, you move in 125 yards, you know, between 100 and 150 yards from them. You set up and you start doing a breeding sequence. You start acting like a bull that has a hot cow. Do you think you are going to grab that herd bull's attention? Absolutely. And then basically what's going to happen is now all of a sudden that herd bull is going to run around and scent check all 20 of his cows. Well, dang it, that's a bummer. None of my cows are hot. But that dude over there has one. Now, here's the problem that a lot of people will do. As soon as that bull starts paying attention to you, you drop immediately what you're doing and you just focus your attention and start screaming at him. Okay? But he's still a little ways out. He really hasn't broken that comfort bubble. There's no reason for you to all, all automatically go from loving on your girlfriend to fighting the dude that's on the other side of town. I mean, that he, he's not a threat. So again, this it, it, it all goes into that understanding elk vocalizations and understanding elk behavior and actually studying how they respond to situations. Guys, there is so much information at your fingertips on YouTube and Google searches. It's just amazing. So, so best way to pull a herd bull away from his cows, make sure he doesn't have a hot cow and paint a scenario that you're a bull that does have a hot cow. So, um, to, 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 let's see. Okay. Uh, while solo hunting, you mentioned calling and moving up. How do you decide where to move if you can't hear them? So Dave, that's one of the things when I'm solo hunting, I do not move until I know where that bull is. I'm going to do some different sounds to get him to crack off. I am going to do whatever I can to get him to give up his location. Now, early in the season, it's tough because they're not as vocal. So you really have to use your eyes and your ears for scanning before you do any movements at all. So um, making little crescent moves. Oh, in, in blind scenario, making the half moons, the crescent moves. Are you moving into the wind or downwind? I'm moving downwind of where I'm calling to because that's basically what that bull's going to do. He's going to loop downwind because he wants to catch, you know, my scent. So uh, let's see. Go through these questions real quick and then we'll get on the broadheads. We still have about 15 minutes left. Uh, had elk all over. Game came up until two days before Oregon archery season. Then the elk moved on to private property and were very difficult to pull them off. They know where their safe havens are. And a lot of times, um, we're all guilty of this. It's um, <laughs> season hasn't opened yet, but dang it, we just want to hear that bugle. So we go out and start trapsing through the woods and we start bugling. Just look and, and want to hear that, that first bugle. But now imagine if you have 25, 30 people in your same area that are doing the same thing. Man, season opens in two days, but I, I just want to go, you know, do a little preseason scouting hike and see if I can bugle and get some responses. So, well, you just added kind of two days to, you know, the season starting. Um, that's why a lot of times, you know, I'll sit there and say right before the season, I don't even go into the areas. I get on elevated with... Um, you know, binoculars and really glass the area to see movement. And if I do want to go out and hear bugles, I'll go out at night and do a night bugling. So, um, but yeah, they know they're safe pockets. So Danny Coyman, time to join Patreon. I give up. Help me, Obi-Wan. You're my only hope. So Danny, just do it, man. And in fact, Danny, give Jay Colley a call. Just talk to him a little bit. Talk to him about his season, what he has learned on the Patreon page, how he applied that out in the field, and how his season went. So, Kelly Ford, what did I miss? 
Kelly, do not open the door to that question, man. You do not want me to jump through and answer that. Doing so, that's an inside joke. So, uh, Ryan Wood sounds like a lot of success so far this year. Shot my first elk this year, seven point at less than twenty yards. Ryan, that is awesome. Congratulations. Um, I'm telling everyone on here, if you want to get better at elk hunting, then join the Patreon page. 110% so much more information. Gentry Batiste. Ooh, so we found a bull that got his cow stolen just before we got to him, and we called him from the top to the bottom, but we just couldn't get him to come the last 100 yards. What should you do then? Well, one of the things, too, on that gentry, if you're calling him from that far away, you kind of want to move towards him. You want to cut off some of that distance as well. Um, but if you know for a fact that that is a bull that had cows and then got his cow stolen, that bull is going to be ticked off at the world. But he's going to primarily be looking for more cows. That's where your cow vocalizations are going to be the heavy influence. So basically what you're going to do is you're going to paint a story that you're a younger, smaller bull that has a couple of cows. You want to be smaller than him because kind of what you're doing is you're creating the situation and story of exactly what happened to him. But now he is the dominant bull that has the ability to take cows to make himself feel better about himself. So uh coyotes at night yes we heard a lot of coyotes at night this year and we actually had a bull that would come in at night and uh bugle for several nights in a row about 25 30 or, well not 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 that close he was he was 50 75 yards from camp but he would bugle non-stop so all right so let's do this um okay ron keeling one more thing i would just like to say thank you for all the great information i didn't get a bull in idaho this trip but i did get a cow very thankful for all you do for us elk hunters got a freezer full ron congratulations on that trophy so all right so let's talk about some of the broadheads that we tested this year so this year we kind of focused on a lot of two blades and um we had 125-grain two-blade Maasai from Grizzly Stick. Uh, we had 100-grain Redline from Grizzly Stick. We had a 100-grain Silver Flame from Grizzly Stick. And we had 125-grain Evo X from Day 6. Now, all four of those broadheads were used to harvest bulls. All four did the job. They put the bulls down. But the one thing that I saw was not the best blood trail in the world. Um, thankfully, the group that I hunt with, I swear, a couple of those guys are bloodhounds. Um, the things that were found and in during the tracking job. Um, the shot placement, I know somebody's going to bring up the shot placement. The shot placements were were good. Um, and in fact, two of those were right in the prime spot where you want to put. You're talking heart right where the lung comes down. I mean, you're hitting everything. You're taking out both lungs. You're taking the heart. That in the past with other broadheads, um, I mean, it looks like somebody opened up a five gallon bucket of paint and just poured it down the trail. But like I said, they were effective. Um, you know, a couple of them put those bulls down in less than 60 yards quick. So flight was great. Penetration. Okay. I, I've gotten better penetration uh, out of broadheads that I've shot in the past. So my overall take on all of these, um, I was really excited to go back to, you know, a two blade, especially I was the one. Oh, I was the one that was shooting the two blade Evo X from day six. Great head, very sharp, especially because of the bleeders. I was just not happy with the blood trail that I got. So I have personally made the decision. I'm going back to the QAD Exodus. Um, the two bulls that I've shot the last two years, uh, 2018, 2017, um, 
same result. Put the put the elk down quickly, but the blood trail was just great. So, um, plus with all the other testing that I've done with that QAD Exodus, I am going to, in the past. I've always usually shot a hundred grain QAD. I am going to bump up to the hundred and twenty five grain. Just um, and and the other thing too this year is. Um, you know, I shot a little lighter arrow. I shot 450 grains. Normally I'm in the 474, 475. Um, I didn't like the lighter arrow. Uh, I did not get a complete pass through. Um, it just didn't, I've just seen better penetration. And so, so I'm going to go back to, uh, my old setup and by going with the 125 grains, it's going to put me up closer to the 500 grain mark. Um, just the kinetic energy and all that stuff just works a little better. So a lot of things that I tested this year, hunting with a no peep. Um, those of you that, um, you know, followed the no peep journey, uh, hunting with a no peep was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, there was one morning that we had, you know, bulls cracking off and, you know, could look at the pen and it's like, I can see my pen so I can, you know, we can see good enough. Um, but a couple, as soon as they drew back and tried to look through the peep site, they're like, it's just blocking out. I can't see it. And I'm like, hmm, guess I'm the shooter because I can see my pen. So the no peep worked really, really well in the hunting applications too. Was completely, totally happy with the way that worked. So uh, fatal flight, um, radical archery designs, two bulls, same head, blood was insanely pouring. Yeah, Robert, I've, I've shot radical archery designs, uh, in the past. So, um, I just prefer just a little bit more cutting diameter. So, uh, you're awesome. Thanks for all you do and always taking the time, Joshua, you were very, very welcome. So, uh, Jay, thank you so much for everything you do for Elk Calling Academy and us learn so much from you. Jay, you know what? You, you took the information and you applied it out there. That's that's the thing. You took the time to study and practice and then apply it. So all the credit goes to you. So uh, Robbie Sadler, no peep. Yeah. So Robbie, on my YouTube channel, um, I was kind of curious because you know, I, I turned 50 next year and I've noticed that I'm having a harder time or I was having a harder time with the peep sight, just kind of fuzzing out, not really giving me a clear sight picture. So this summer I removed the peep sight. I took the peep sight out and you'll see on the YouTube video about the peepless or shooting no peep. You'll see how I set up my bow. I basically tied knots for a kisser and another knot for the corner of my nose and it's awesome. Your sight picture is so much clearer because um, I started researching, you know, clarifiers and verifiers and man, am I going to have to get glasses? And I just didn't like any of those options. And, you know, Robbie, when I first started archery, I, I shot recurve, um, you know, so didn't even have peep sight or this or that. And so, so I kind of started doing a little bit of research on it saw there was other people that were doing it. So I said, what the heck, let's give this a try. So I committed this summer to remove that peep and practice shooting without that peep. Um, I like it. I will probably never use a peep sight again in my life. Um, I also got tired of peep not rotating, not getting a clear picture. I just got tired of all that. So I wanted to find a simpler way and a cleaner way that I didn't have to worry about peep rotation or low light or any of that. And the peepless way is phenomenal. So it may not be for everybody, but I definitely say if you're struggling to get a clear sight picture, remove that peep sight. Just play around with it a little bit. So... Hey, what's wrong with glass? Nothing's wrong with glasses. I grew up wearing glasses and contacts, but you know, I paid that good money for uh, the Lasix. So uh, I set mine up for no peep just before I left Monday. Kelly, awesome. Let me know how that goes for you. All right, guys, uh, we are coming down to the end. So last round for questions. Let me look at Facebook real quick and make sure. Matthew Jones, the Golden Knights start at eight. Any chance you want to start at six? Oops, um, Matthew, sorry, I kind of missed that one. Okay, we answered that one, answered that one. 
I think we are good. So, okay, so just kind of recap some of the takeaways, um, you know, from this season was, you know, really adjusting on the fly, paying attention to the the cues that the elk are giving you and adjusting your calling to what they're giving you. But the biggest thing that I'm hearing too is the lack of patience. So I uh, want to give a shout out to Greg Schlenker. You were an amazing caller, loved hunting with you. So uh, Paul Bear, what happened to our summer barbecue? You know, okay, so I'm just going to throw this out there. So you guys have heard me talk about that there's some things kind of going on that I've been dealing with. And, and so obviously um, the new setting. So basically what happened is I went through a divorce, uh, bought a new house, moving. Um, and in fact, I, I closed on my house Thursday the 19th, late in the afternoon. I was in my truck Friday morning heading to camp. And then as soon as I got back this past Saturday, it was throw things in the truck and start moving into the new house. I'm still not fully completely moved in. It's probably going to take me through the end of this weekend to get everything moved in and up on the wall. Um, so basically, that is why I kind of really pulled back the reins on... Um, Sorry with the phone calls, guys. Um, so, so that's the reason why I really pulled back the reins on the lessons and kind of some of the last couple of Q&As just because I had so much going on to get all that stuff closed out before I went to camp. So, um, but Paul, you know, summer barbecue, I would love to try to put something together. In fact, I've already kind of doing, started doing a research um, here in Boise of maybe finding a venue. I have talked to a couple of other groups to partner together and do kind of an elk event weekend. Um, cool thing is, is, is the venue that I'm looking at, for those of you that don't live in the area, um, flights into Boise are pretty inexpensive. And then you can take an Uber or a taxi right downtown. There's hotels right there. The venue that I'm looking at is within walking distance. There's restaurants and nightlife and all kinds of stuff. Um, so have started working on some sort of Elk Fest or Elk Weekend event. So would love to hopefully you know, have that put into place and, and do something in the summer of 2020. If we can put it together, we'll most certainly let you guys know with enough advance notice. Um, but it's just really, really early on in the whole planning of all of that. So, okay. So Paul, you're good, bud. You're good. Love you too, bud. Dang it. I don't know who from Pocatello is just Somebody in Pocatello is just hitting redial. So, okay. Oh, by the way, got close but missed at 30 yards, but Game Warden ended up shooting him. He ended up being a 400-class bull. Huh. Robbie, I want to know more about that. Why did the Game Warden end up shooting him? So, uh, Aaron, I noticed once a bull is cowed up, his bugle changed to low, deep grunt sound versus other types of bugles. Did you already cover this tonight? Thanks for all the prep this year. Great stuff. Yeah, Aaron, we kind of talked about it a little bit. It's kind of one of those things that, you know, if that bull has his cows and they're not in estrus, he has no reason to sound off. He's still going to do those low grunts and those low sounds to let the other bulls know that he's a dominant bull and they need to stay away. But he is not going to just uncork and just advertise his location to other bulls around. So, uh, Tracy, Jay really did learn a lot from you. Thanks, Mike. Jay, it was, or, or Tracy, it was my pleasure. I know Jay was sending me messages and kind of te teaching me, um, you know, how you guys were doing. So, uh, he has taught me a few things. Uh, he had a tag. He was a good guy and deserved it. Oh, okay. So he wasn't in his game more than he was actually a hunter. So gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. 
All right, guys, countdown clock has started, so we're going to wrap this up tonight. I did miss you guys. Good to be back. Thank you to all of you for tuning in. We are now back on our regularly programmed schedule every week, every Wednesday night. Start thinking of your questions. Start thinking of situations that you got into. Make sure you get those questions in. As always, guys, thank you for tuning in. I greatly appreciate each and every one of you. I would not be able to do this without you guys. As always, keep calling, keep practicing, but most importantly, have fun. And we'll see you guys next week on the next episode of Wapiti Wednesday Q&A brought to you by Elk Calling Academy. Have a great night, everybody. Follow and subscribe to Elk Calling Academy on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Patreon for tips, tactics, gear reviews, and live Q&A, helping you to success faster. Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down. Hey, everyone. This is Andrew with Sasquatch Fuel. If you're heading into the backcountry this season and you need some meals that don't bog you down, check out SasquatchFuel.com. Our 100% compostable packaging was designed to combat litter in the backcountry. For more information on conservation in action, head to SasquatchFuel.com. Hey guys, enter code WESTERNCONTOURS at checkout and save a few bucks off your order.